Hi there, you're listening to the Practical Stoic Podcast with your host, me, Simon Drew. If you'd like to listen to over 200 episodes that were recorded before 2020, then you can head to my Patreon site. It's patreon.com forward slash Simon J.E. Drew. We'd love to have you there and any support is greatly appreciated. We'd love to also have you on our Facebook community, The Practical Stoic Mastermind. But for now, enjoy the show. Hi there, my name's Simon Drew and welcome to The Practical Stoic Podcast. Now, before I jump into telling you about our guest today, I just want to mention that next week we do have Michael Tremblay and also Sharon LaBelle coming on Practical Stoic Live. So if you're already a Patreon supporter of the Courage tier, uh, then you can jump on there live with us and watch the interview and then ask questions as well. Uh, And if you're not already on there, then just head to patreon.com forward slash Simon J.E. Drew and you will get the links to where you can actually sign up and come and watch that interview. So they're going to be fascinating conversations Uh, with Michael. I'm going to be talking about uh, the life and teachings of Epictetus. So you can get some great questions prepared for that one. And then with Sharon LaBelle, we're going to be discussing Stoicism and Buddhism and the similarities and differences. So it's going to be really fascinating conversations and I'd love to see you there. But for now, I want to tell you a little bit about our guest today, Christy Watson. So, uh, Christy, a fellow Australian, I was really glad to have her on the show. And man, we had such an interesting discussion about stoicism and leadership in the workplace and in modern companies. So, this is a great conversation for you guys who are in the workforce right now and are looking for ways to implement more stoicism uh, in your own workplace. So, I'll tell you a little bit about Christy uh, and then, then we'll jump straight into the interview. So... Christy Watson is the founder of Learn Leadership and founder and director of Learn Global. Uh, Christy worked in leadership roles within the higher education sector for 12 years. Having held board directorships and national network chair positions, uh, Christy has extensive experience in the area of leadership and professional development, applying her experience with client organizations and with individuals to develop leadership capabilities. So, Christie's formal qualifications include uh, MBA, uh, Graduate Certificate of Research Methods, Bachelor of Commerce in Accounting, uh, Bachelor of Marine Science, Graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors course, uh, and is currently undertaking her PhD in the area of leadership development. So, heaps of wisdom to get out of Christie here for this interview, and uh, I'm sure that you guys are going to get a lot out of it. And before we jump in, I want to make sure that you know, you can go to the show notes and you can get links to where you can find all of Christy's stuff online. And also she's doing a really great survey at the moment uh, where you can actually go on there and uh, give her some information about how you have used stoicism in your own workplace or in your own leadership abilities. So uh, jump on that survey to be really helpful for her. And uh, I'm sure that would show her how much you appreciate her coming on the show. So Without any further ado, I present to you my guest, Christy Watson. All right. So we're here with Christy Watson. Now, Christy, I'm looking forward to having a good conversation with you. You know, you reached out a you know a few weeks ago and kind of said that you're doing a thesis at the moment around stoicism in the workforce. And and I want to give everybody an opportunity to to get to know you a little bit more. So if you want to just tell us a little bit more about who you are, what you're up to right now, and then we can jump into an interesting discussion. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me um, and for suggesting that we do a podcast. I think it's fantastic. Oh, and just before you start as well, yeah. second official Australian or half Australian on our podcast as well, which is exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're definitely bridging all the, the global areas, aren't we? We've got, um, well, I've got Australian Canadian, so we'll, we'll branch off across the Pacific as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, I'll let um, you, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah. So um, as I was saying earlier to you, I was introduced to Stoic philosophy probably two or three years ago by a colleague of mine over in the UK um, who later became my, one of my advisors on my PhD. Um, and as soon as I started reading about the principles, they really resonated with me in the workplace that I was working in at the time. And so I found that the principles were really useful for me in providing leadership to my teams um, and also working through some of the challenges that I was facing. Uh, and so I decided to not only embark on a PhD in that area, but also to start my own company, Learn Leadership, that I could help other people to realize some of, some of the um, approaches and, and how the principles could be used in their workplaces to help them navigate some of the challenges they were facing. Yeah, cool. I love it. And, and this is one of the coolest things about the way that this philosophy is manifesting itself in the, the broader society today is, is that there's so many different applications for it, right? Like you, you don't necessarily hear a lot of people going around saying, I'm bringing Aristotle's principles into, you know, into, into the workforce or, or, you know, like it's, it's, it's the kind of, or like the Epicureans, I'm not bringing an Epicurean uh, philosophy into the workforce or into schools or, you know, there's, there's so many interesting applications and something that you were discussing with me before the show was you're saying how uh, doing your thesis, you're first trying to understand how people are already using the principles of stoicism in the workforce. So what have you discovered there? How are people using these principles in the workforce already? Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting how you say we are using a lot of these principles without actually really knowing it. Um, so for listeners who are uh, a little bit across Stoic philosophy, this, this won't be any new news to them. But a lot of the principles that we enact through psychology, through cognitive behavioral therapy, emotional intelligence, mindfulness, all of those um, activities and approaches that are currently quite popular are actually grounded in philosophies and in a lot of cases in stoic philosophy um, so that's what really resonated with me with stoic philosophy was that a lot of what we're learning now if we go back to the philosophical practices um, it brings us right back to the basics of these principles and how we can apply them in our everyday lives um, so they're incredibly useful, whether it's in our personal lives or in our professional lives. Um, so it's still very early days with regard to my research. I've only just launched the uh, survey and will undertake interviews with people shortly. Um, but essentially what I'm interested in is, is learning about the experiences that people are having. Um, so very, very early days. There's a long way to go here still. 
Um, but I'm certainly seeing through the survey that people are using the principles of Stokes philosophy in their workplaces. Mm. Um, and in particular, they're, they're using them in scenarios that, as you say, range in, in a number of different areas within their workplaces. Um, from conflict management to changing jobs to job satisfaction to decision making um, mm. all sort of change you know major changes are happening all around the world at the moment so people are finding these principles really useful in those areas um, and interestingly as well one of the most common uses of stoic philosophy is in our own personal development uh, and so we often find that uh, we find ourselves in a challenging situation, so we want to develop ourselves personally in order to be able to address those challenges more effectively. Um, and what's great about Stoic philosophy is it doesn't stop just with the individual. So if we're trying to develop our own personal um, ability to deal with some challenges in our lives, Stoic philosophy actually pushes us into a more social interpretation of our individual mm. development, um, which is different from other philosophies and, and other approaches, which are very much focused on the individual and our own experience. Stoic philosophy is by its nature, a practice of society. So how do we interact with society? How do we make decisions that are not only in our best interest, but that are um, for the greater good um, and contribute to society in, in a positive way? Um, so the ultimate goal of Stoic philosophy is to live a life of virtue, um, which obviously is uh, very much tied to our place in society and how we contribute to it. Um, and so from a workplace perspective, that's incredibly important is how we interact with people, how we make decisions, um, how we respond to different circumstances. So it's a really useful um, set of practices and principles to apply in the workplace. Mm, yeah, I love that. And, and I love that, uh, you know, from your perspective, it is something that's being used as a way to not just you know, do the personal development to, but, but to include, in, include everybody else in that, you know, that kind of growth as well. Right. So have you, have you been studying like different companies and different people within those organizations using stoic principles? Yeah, well, certainly through my own experience and through um, the people that I work with through learn leadership, um, mm. I, they often don't know that I'm using the principles. <laughs> Um, because, you know, I think it's something that people have to come to on their own. Um, so I certainly don't preach about uh, Stoic philosophy unless, of course, it's, it's my research topic, which, um, or having a conversation with yourself um, and people who are uh, across the, the principles. Um, but the great thing about the principles of Stoic philosophy, and I'm sure we'll, we'll cover off on those as well, um, is that they can be applied without people actually realizing that that's what's happening. Um, so, you know, I have people that I work with who perhaps are looking at a career change um, or there's some significant changes happening in their organization, which is, you know, incredibly relevant at the moment. Um, and the principles of Stoke philosophy allow them to liberate themselves from a lot of the feelings of, victimization and discouragement and a lot of the negative feelings that we can become overwhelmed with in the in some of these uh, very very challenging and extraordinary circumstances 
Um, so Stoic philosophy gives us a chance to work through those challenges in a, in a much more uh, proactive way without pushing to the side some of the challenges that we're actually facing. So it's dealing with them head on, but in a much more empowering way. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And I, I, I really want to discuss the aspect of stoicism and leadership with you. Because there is obviously there's a big movement within the stoicism kind of community uh, uh, that, that that says that stoicism is you know one of the more effective approaches for a leader uh, to become an even better leader. I mean we see that even in the ultimate ideal that we all have in our minds of Marcus Aurelius, right? The the philosopher king, uh, somebody who is is a philosopher and a human first, and then you know whatever comes after that. Uh, what do you think is the importance for people to to put philosophy and personal development before their career so that like what's the priority there because i see it as you should have you should put your philosophy and your personal development before your career because everything stems from your ability to be a more effective uh, you know human being right yeah. but but what do you think is the process for somebody who's looking to improve their leadership skills, improve their, their career um, through philosophy like stoicism? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, firstly, I would say that there are, there tends to be a misconception around stoic philosophy. So when we hear the term or the phrase, they're very stoic. Um, mm. It invokes a, a perception that somebody lacks emotion um, mm. or is uncaring or um, closed off or cold. Um, and so that misinterpretation from a leadership perspective can be quite damaging, um, particularly in our organizations today where uh, emotional intelligence and um, interaction and collegiality are much more prevalent and, and expected within our organizations and, and from people enacting leadership. Um, so the misconception is that it's cold and closed off and it's a matter of suppressing our emotions. It's actually the opposite of that. Um, and so I think it's important for people to understand, particularly when they're looking at it from a workplace perspective, it's not about closing off our emotions or suppressing our emotions. What it is, um, and it speaks to the first, one of the principles um, of Stoke philosophy, which is logic, um, that it's not about suppressing our emotions, but it's actually recognizing that in any given situation, our senses are picking up data all the time and feeding it through to us. So mm. our impressions of the situation um, or any given situation or interaction with people are continuously feeding us data. Um, and we've got these incredibly powerful minds that take that data and form interpretations, uh, judgments, opinions. And um, often what happens is people stop at that point. So they trust their judgments, they trust their opinions, and they head off and, and make decisions or, or interact with people based on those opinions and judgments. The Stoics, and this is where the social aspect comes into place, the Stoics actually ask us to push ourselves beyond our judgments and opinions. So it's asking us to scrutinize our reasoning. Um, mm. And the reason for that is that our opinions and our judgments are based on our past experiences, obviously, which is a positive thing. We need those experiences. Um, but they can prevent us from understanding the fullness of the situation. Um, mm. And they can cause us to misinterpret the situation. Um, so if we were to interpret Stoke philosophy from the, the misconception that it's very unemotive, 
um, then we would actually be blocking the principle of logic, which is to actually accept that we do have an emotional response to situations. Um, and it's not about suppressing that, it's acknowledging that, it's understanding where our opinions and judgments are coming from um, based on past experiences, and then pushing ourselves mentally beyond that point so that we can gain a better understanding of what's actually happening in the situation. So it could be talking to the person that you're interacting with. It could be talking to your team. It could be reassessing the decisions that you're making um, or just exploring as I'm doing in my PhD right now is just explore what's actually happening in that situation. Um, and so logic and, and stoic philosophy is, is pushing us um, beyond our, our initial judgments and, and opinions. Um, and then, one of the other principles, so the three main principles of Stoic philosophy are logic, ethics, and physics. Um, so we've talked about logic. Ethics is building a greater awareness of how our decisions and our actions affect other people. Um, mm. So in a leadership context, uh, it's incredibly important. Um, and you mentioned Marcus Aurelius. Um, that was, you know, that's the core of meditations, isn't it? That he's considering how his actions and how his behaviors and his decisions actually affect other people. Um, and it's throughout all of his meditations um, are based on that thought processes. If I do this, or if I say that, or if I act this way, how is that going to affect the people around, uh, around me? Um, yeah. So from a leadership perspective, um, pushing ourselves to understand the situation more fully and then considering and gaining a better awareness of how our decisions and actions and behaviors and thoughts affect other people um, is absolutely critical um, in today's society. Um, and particularly as we go through these massive changes that we're all seeing. Um, and so the, the third principle is physics. Uh, mm. And this is probably one of the most challenging ones for people. Uh, and and so, how do you bring physics into the workplace? What's the, yeah, <laughs> what's the yeah. connection? Well, exactly. People think of physics in, in quite a different way than, than how it's interpreted in Stoic philosophy, even though they're, they're both grounded in, in the same uh, perception. So st the Stoics saw physics as um, an acceptance and an acknowledgement of what is within our control and what is outside of our control. Mm. Um, and the reason that this is so difficult in our organizations today is because we've been fed this dialogue that tells us leaders need to be in control. They need to be good negotiators. They need to influence people. Um, you know, they're constantly being asked to drive and take responsibility and, um, you know, enact certain forms of leadership that are, are maybe perceived as um, less effective or becoming less effective in our society today. Um, and so it's very difficult for people to step back from that and take a Stoic perspective of it, um, whereby the Stoics saw, and in my view, quite rightly, that the only thing we are actually in control of is our own actions, behaviors, beliefs, thoughts. We're actually not in control of who we influence or what, how our decisions play out um, in the only interaction we have with that is how we respond to those situations. So that's very difficult for people to get their heads around because they're mm. expected to be in positions of power. Um, but the people who recognize that are much more able to interact with people in a way that the decisions that are made 
um, are actually effective decisions and are actually for the common good or the better, best of the organization or the team or, or whatever the decision happens to be focused on. Um, and so everything outside of ourselves is completely outside of our control. And the sooner we accept that um, and focus on our own actions and beliefs and how we're contributing to the situation, um, the better able we are to enact leadership within organizations. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a really important point. The, the, the entire physics aspect and the, the understanding of, of you cannot control, ultimately you cannot control anything other than your own decisions. Because if you think about the people that you respect in leadership positions, they are the people who genuinely don't care what you think. They are just out there to make the best possible decision for everybody, right? And you can tell that. And you can also tell very clearly when you're dealing with somebody who is only interested in influencing you and you don't want to be around that person um, yeah. if you're able to get out of that trap of being influenced by them, right? Yeah. And so the, the, the key, what you're saying is to become a leader who, who essentially understands that your first and foremost priority is that of making the most, uh, I guess, the most reasonable and the most effective decisions that are going to be the best for everyone based on virtue, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and you're right. We see a lot of behaviors um, that have actually been encouraged for, for many decades in, mm. in organizations. You know, the, the corporate structures are, are set up in a way that, that the way that people um, can influence if you like, um, or be perceived to be influencing um, within the organizations is a, is a key indicator as to um, their progression up the corporate ladder. Um, and so that's been a big focus for us for many, many years and decades in our organizations. Um, what I think we're seeing now is a shift happening um, where hierarchies and bureaucracies are falling out of favor, if you like, um, mm. and people are less, um, accepting of a lot of the behaviors that were once revered um, and so we're seeing uh, quite a shift in how we're operating in our societies from a business perspective and it's becoming a lot more collegial um, it's becoming a lot more cognizant of the different skills and contributions that everyone in the organization brings to the conversation um, and you know we're seeing we're seeing leaders um, who are actually making decisions now um, that are a little bit more um, self-aware. Um, so we've seen some leaders in recent times, um, and, and I have to say I'm not particularly in favor of the term leader. Um, I, I actually prefer the enactment of leadership um, because the leader follower mm. um, dynamic is, you know, I think it's a little bit, um, past its, its due date. Well, everyone can show leadership, right? But, exactly. But if exactly. you focus on leader and follower, then you feel as though you're never there because you're not in the top position. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it's, it's, I think, um, better uh, to, to talk about it in, in the sense of enacting leadership, regardless of, of your position in the hierarchy. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so we're seeing leaders... <laughs> leaders again uh, we're seeing leadership enacted in different ways now where people in positions of authority within hierarchies are accepting um, fates similar to what they're expecting of their employees 
Um, mm. And so certainly we, we're seeing in Australia and around the world at the moment where businesses are struggling like we've never seen before um, and hopefully we'll never see again. Uh, but instead of having um, people within those authoritarian positions just handing down uh, the bad news to the employees, a lot of them are taking personal um, hits, if you like, to their own circumstances as well. Uh, whether or not it's going far enough remains to be seen and, and it's up to anyone's personal assessment of that. Uh, but we're definitely seeing a shift and a lot of organizations setting themselves up uh, under different models than a hierarchy, for instance, with the recognition that we want people to bring their absolute best into the workplace and we need to acknowledge that um, people need to be seen in that way and interacted with in that way. Hmm. Yeah, this, this, this is an interesting discussion because it's, it's very clear that companies are changing, right? That, and, and, and they're trying to adapt to a new way of doing things. Like we're no longer in the industrial age, right? We're in the information age. Uh, people don't want to just specialize in one specific field for the rest of their life and, you know, have one job for the rest of their life. They want to be constantly challenged. They, they want to, uh, you know, different avenues to go down and, and I'd like to know how you see companies progressing in the future based on what you see at the moment. And do you think that there's, I'll phrase it like this. I've seen that, that it's helpful for people to, when they're going into a new position to not just uh, put in front of them, their skills that they have that are specific to that situation or that, that to that job, but to also present the skills, the uh, activities that they do outside of work, the, the, uh, the, the other skills that they have that don't necessarily relate specifically to that career path, because that means that they can draw connections from various disciplines, right? Yeah. Do you think that there will be a shift towards not necessarily encouraging people to do one thing for the rest of their life, but to draw connections between various disciplines, philosophies, personal development, hobbies and their career yeah absolutely and we're and we're already seeing it um perhaps on a smaller scale than hopefully we will as it mm. um, moves through our society um but i one of the one of the things that i love to do um is i'm a, a writer at heart um so i write articles for a number of member organizations um, and i recently wrote an article um on introducing flexibility in the workplace um and which you know obviously again these days uh what we're going through at the moment companies are forced um into this if they haven't already been applying it uh, but i had a really interesting conversation with a, a businesswoman in canada um, who runs a, a clinic of, of naturopaths and acupuncturists and um, dietitians, And so, so a really interesting business model where it's not actually set up as um, a traditional company, if you like, um, but it's a lot of people contributing their expertise and their knowledge to one organization. Mm. Um, and so there's a number of different models for engaging those people from contracts to um, some of them were actually employees, but others were subcontracted and, and uh, various arrangements. Um, but the interesting thing that she talked about was that she doesn't focus necessarily on the skills and the techniques of the person when she's seeing whether or not they're a good fit for, for the company and the business that she's building. 
um, what she focuses on is their values and what um, perspectives and what approaches they would actually bring to the organization and whether or not that aligns with what she's trying to create. Um, so I think when we get down to what somebody is all about, uh, we get a much better picture of whether or not they're the right person for the organization or whether the organization is the right organization for them. Um, mm. And so whilst we can focus on technical skills, obviously we need people to know what they're doing. Um, we can also expand that so that we're actually looking at whether or not the people are actually the right fit for each other or for the organization. Um, and so we start to develop a much more culturally aware approach to, the, to building organizations um, and the leadership then emerges through the organization because we're not as focused on positions, if you like, or, or hierarchies or bureaucratic systems um, to engage people with what we're trying to create. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Kind of like a, kind of like a collective kind of model, right? Like using the best skills of everybody to combine. Um, so, okay. So who, who leads the organization then? What, how, 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 how does, how does it work? I'm really interested in this kind of model. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love this kind of model and this is um, how I love to work with, with other organizations as well, um, is that everyone brings um, their perspectives, their knowledge, their expertise to the table, basically. Um, but we're not employees or employee, employers of each other. Um, and so ultimately, in the example that I gave, she is the director of that company. Um, but the way that the company is run, the way that the business is run um, is you know, if you like, the hierarchy is almost flat. <laughs> mm. um, and so everyone has a contribution to make. Um, she makes the expectations of what she's creating very clear from the outset. Um, so people entering into that environment are completely clear on um, what they're getting into, what their contribution needs to be. Um, and it, it just forms a much more authentic approach, I think. Mm. Um, and I suppose it's a bit of a response as well to a lot of the challenges that I see in my line of work where people develop the technical skills. Um, so they might be an accountant, a nurse, um, a teacher, uh, you know, whatever, an engineer, whatever their, their technical expertise might be. Um, and they're really good at their job. So they get promoted um, mm. and suddenly they're being asked to manage people. Um, and get things done that um, are they're asked to do from people above them in the hierarchy. Uh, and they really struggle. They find it incredibly difficult because there's this um, misconception that if you're good at your trade or you're technically competent, um, then surely you can enact leadership effectively. Uh, and it's, it's often not the case. Leadership mm. is a really challenging area um, that takes many, many years to evolve and, and to practice. Um, and so if we bring that back to Stoic philosophy, another great thing besides the social element to Stoic philosophy is that it's a practice. Um, so it's the practice of Stoicism. There's no expectation that you need to be perfect from the beginning. Um, we're actually learning constantly through our experiences and applying those learnings to the next experience um, and reflecting mm. on those experiences. Uh, so from a leadership perspective, it's incredibly powerful to be able to take these practices 
um, and continuously learn from them and, and sort of relieve ourselves a little bit of that expectation that we have to be perfectly stepping in to these leadership um, expectations where we haven't actually had the practice. Um, mm. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that really, that really aligns with what the Stoics talk about when they say aligning with your nature as well. It's, it's, it also means align with your personal nature, right? And so you make such a good point there that just because you're good at your job doesn't mean that you're going to step into a leadership position perfectly. And, and I can definitely see how that would be a, a misconception that leads to almost the downfall of a lot of companies, right? Because they're putting people in these positions who really have no leadership capabilities, but they're just really good at their one thing. And what do you think the importance is of people when they're getting into any position in a career to really question deeply what their personal nature is and the value that they can bring to the company or for, for the individual and for the people hiring as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can make pretty easy ties to organizational behavior as well, um, which is a subject that I, I, I lecture in as well. Um, so from an organizational behavior perspective, um, we can look at the personalities, the, um, and there's a lot of tests and things. I'm not a huge fan of personality tests uh, because I think they're, they're a little bit limiting at times. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that we're constantly evolving and practicing through our experiences. Um, so I don't really um, uh, like the idea of, of taking a snapshot of somebody in a point of time and then saying that that's the type of person that they are. Um, so I think from the outset, I think we need to um, engage with a learning perspective. Um, so and not expect. So a lot of our interview practices, a lot of our recruitment practices are expecting people to be a certain way coming into the role. Um, and often that is misaligned with um, actually building someone and developing somebody into the role. Um, and we can end up with people who maybe bring all of their experiences from previous um, roles or, or um, activities or projects that they've worked, worked on that may not necessarily fit with the, the growth of the company or the team or mm. the projects. And, and so I think across the organization, whether we're looking at an individual, a team or, or throughout the whole organization, I think adopting a learning approach um, is absolutely crucial. Um, and so when we're looking at different people's personalities and, and assessing whether or not they're the, they feel that they're the right fit to undertake leadership responsibilities, um, again, we, we have tended to look at people in this completely binary um, scale of extroverted and introverted. Um, mm. And often what we find is that um, people will assume that somebody who's extroverted will enact leadership more effectively. Um, it's actually not the case and it, it's very much dependent on the situation and the direction and, and the type of team and, and all of those, those factors. Um, so I think we just have to be careful not to pigeonhole people and make assumptions um, of ourselves that maybe we won't be the right person for that job because of a certain personality trait or, or preference that we have or that we perceive in others. Um, mm -hmm. We really have to take a learning approach to these things and an experiential approach to these things um, because ultimately we don't know. We're really just making assumptions um, and it could end up being not the right decision and that's okay. 
um, mm. or it could end up being fantastic and uh, because of the approach and the mindset that we had from the outset. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's really important stuff. I think it, it almost sounds to me like you're suggesting, and correct me if I'm wrong, but suggesting that in an interview situation, it might be more effective uh, instead of saying, okay, here's the position and here's what we need you to be like, instead say, how can you add value to our company uniquely? Like how, how, how could you grow into a role in the company and actually add to the value of the company, right? Yeah, yeah, partly that. And partly I had a conversation um, you just reminded me of with, with an organization that's looking for a new CEO um, just last week. Um, and I, I asked them where they saw the, the expectations of the position and, and what they were looking for. Um, and their response was fantastic. They said, actually, we don't want to restrict it. We actually want to interview people and see what they might bring to our organization that we hadn't thought of. Um, mm. So we actually want to get the ideas of people out there um, who are not confined to the organizational culture at the moment. Um, and so they had a, a quite a liberal approach to um, recruiting to the CEO position that they were actually pretty open um, yeah. to explore what type of person and, and what kind of ideas and, and approaches somebody might bring. So I thought that yeah. was fantastic. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, that that's actually brilliant because don't, don't you feel that people often don't feel as though they can actually sh express their unique ideas and the actual value that they feel they could bring to a company because they feel that there is a certain expectation there for you to just do your job and then this person does their job. And then don't you think we're moving in a direction where companies are really looking to get as much value and ideas as possible out of each individual within the company? Oh, most definitely. Um, particularly because um, we're becoming uh, a lot more short-sighted. So long-term goals used to be 20 years. <laughs> now yeah. I would suggest three years is pretty long time before things change quite dramatically. Mm. Um, and so companies are definitely, or the, the ones that are, that are cognizant of it, are, are very much aware that things change really quickly. Um, and so, and they're also aware that the people working within the organization um, often don't actually see the perception that people outside of the organization will have. Uh, so they need to be more open as to what people can contribute and what people are perceiving and what's going on around them in their societies, with their clients, with their customer base, um, what's happening in their worlds uh, that other people can contribute to. Um, shifting and, and developing the organization in a direction that maybe they hadn't really thought of or um, were sort of slow to adopt, um, but realizing through these conversations and, and this input from people that actually um, it's a direction that we really need to, to focus on. Mm. Yeah, that's brilliant. I, I want to circle back to something that you said earlier about self-awareness and, and understanding, uh, you know, the unique value that you can bring to a leadership position because I, I something that's really interesting about the way that we view leaders, which is exactly what you were saying before. We tend to view them as these extremely charismatic, uh, in your face kind of, you know, alpha people, right, right at the top. 
Um, and that's just not necessarily how it is, right? Like we, we see them on Facebook. So you see classic leaders, you might see people like Gary Vaynerchuk, who's just every day on social media, talking about his company, talking about social media. Um, and you see all of these brilliant CEOs who are really in the, in the spotlight. But what you don't see is the 99% of CEOs who are just out there running extremely like, like when was the last time you saw, you know, the, the CEO of Disney come out there and do a funny YouTube video. Like you just don't see it. Right. Cause they're yeah, too focused yeah. on their quiet leadership, which is just, you get the numbers, you get it done, you make the right decisions. So can you speak to me a little bit about how maybe bring this back to stoicism? Cause I know we're going into all sorts of places, yeah. here, but uh, <laughs> How, how do you how do you think that we can use the Stoic philosophy, or how does Stoicism, I guess, how has it helped you and other people to understand that you can bring unique value by aligning more with whatever is your personal nature? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you've touched on so many important things there, and um, I have to laugh a little bit when when we see. Um, leaders if you like mm. uh talking to the public and if we follow them for long enough um it seems they become experts on everything don't they yeah. <laughs> um you know so you know we're, we're branching off into a few different areas through this conversation um but i have to laugh sometimes on on some of the youtubers or the the people who are out in the public eye um they seem to have a an opinion and a comment on just about everything whether or not it's something that they should be commenting on or not mm. um so i think that's quite interesting that we do just because of somebody's position we often expect that they're an expert in everything uh, which may not be the case mm. um so the other point that i would make is i, I saw a study the other day uh which was quite interesting and, and it um, speaks to what you're um, suggesting there is that um the, what it showed generally is that the people who networked more and were more connected got promoted through their company more rapidly. Um, so mm. in terms of this study, and, and obviously we define success differently, um, but they were more successful, if you like, um, from the perspective of, of promotion and progressing through the company. Um, but what it also showed was that they were actually not the best performers in their roles. Um, so the people who actually focused on their responsibilities um, weren't too troubled by networking. It was obviously a component of their, their role, um, actually performed better and met the targets more um, consistently. So they actually mm. did a better job um, than, the, than the people who, um, if you like, were out. Um, you know, networking and, and building a name for themselves in, in whatever area they were. Um, now, that's not to, that's a huge generalization, obviously. I'm not um, being critical of, of people, but it was well, just, just really... different goals, right? It's different goals and different outcomes based on different approaches, right? Exactly. You, you, if yeah. your goal is to move up the ladder, you've got to be a networker. If your job is to do your job to the best of your ability, you can do that, right? Yeah. But it's just picking the right idea. Yeah, well, what I found interesting was from um, a behavioral point of view within our organizations is that um, people within the organizations are promoting these people, um, mm. despite the fact they're not necessarily the people who are doing the job as effectively as other people. So I think it, it really highlighted an area um, that we do struggle with in our society, which is perception. 
Um, and, you know, we, we see the marketing and we see the promotion of people of, of their own brands and, and of other brands. Um, and they create this perception for us. Um, and if we're not careful, and I suppose this comes back to logic with um, Stoic philosophy, if we're not careful, um, we start to form opinions and judgments that are really not grounded in truth. Um, and so we need to be really aware of, of that. Um, and Stoic philosophy can help us to, to question and to scrutinize um, how we are perceiving people, mm. situations, interactions, um, and really take a step back um, and be a little bit more introspective so that we can become more aware of what's happening around us. Yeah. Now that's great. And that, that actually feeds really well into the next question. I've been wanting to ask this for the past half hour, but we've just been going down so many interesting I tangents. I love it. rattling along. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great. But uh, the, I wanted to talk about the, uh, so, okay. The way that I think that stoicism can really help us in life, uh, one way that it can help us in life is to help us to pick the right games to play right? Because you can step outside of all, of all all of your life and you can step outside for a moment and say, okay, well, what's the goal of this game that I'm playing? Is that a goal that I actually want to achieve or is that a, a false goal? Is that something that's not going to lead to any long-term happiness or, or, or anything? And if you think about it, the company that you get a job in is is just one game in the giant game of life. It's like, okay, you play this game, you get, you get in the game, um, you know, we agree to pay you this much if you do these certain things. You might call them rules of the game. Uh, if you don't do those certain things, then you lose because we fire you. Uh, and hey, you can actually progress in the game if you play really well. And ultimately, who knows, you could become the, the, the uh, I don't know, the company czar of the game, you know, like somebody is right at the top if you play the game well. So stoicism can help us to step back and, and really examine those games that we're playing and say, okay, is this something that I really want to be involved in or not? So this comes down to the choice of company that you work for as well. I know that many people out there will be stuck in companies that they know that it's not somewhere that they want to be. It's not uh, that, you know, they're being almost forced into doing things that they know they don't want to do or that are un unethical. Um, and they're, you know, working with people who they know, you know, are deceitful and annoying. And, you know, there are a lot of people stuck in jobs out there that they absolutely hate. And it's actually affecting their life and it's making them stressed out all the time. And I wouldn't actually say to those people, well, you should use stoicism to just accept your lot in life and, and you know, just keep on going and just, you know, you can control your mindset. I would say you should focus on getting other options, right? You should focus on getting your CV together. You should focus on doing more interviews in companies that you would like to work at because you can control that. How do you think people can better understand whether the company that they're in is a flourishing environment where they, where they can move forward and progress and, and become fulfilled in that work? and whether they should leave? Like, how do you make that decision and, and, and what, what do you think would the process be? Yeah, um, so the first point I would make is that Stoic, Stoicism and, and enacting the principles of Stoic philosophy is not accepting situations and becoming inactive in your life. Mm. So it's not about retreating from life and saying, oh, well, I'm out of, I can't control that, so I just won't bother. 
um, that's absolutely not the case. Um, and, you know, so I think people really need to understand and, and um, be able to practice the principles of Stoic philosophy, which um, the Stoics refer to as, um, uh, oh, now it's gone out of my mind. Always <laughs> oh, at the moment active, you must I know, it. just when I needed it. Um, so the active and the passive principles. Um, mm. So the active ones are obviously, um, or active elements, I should say, um, active elements are obviously where we do choose to to become active in a particular area and passive is where we allow things to affect us um, for better or worse um, that you know there's, there's times where we do just need to step back and accept what's happening um, so I think the key principle in, from a stoic philosophy perspective is physics in this scenario um, and this is where I work with with a lot of um, people who in the very first instance they're overwhelmed because they haven't quite comprehended what is within their control and what's outside of their control um, and so they become overwhelmed with all of these external things that are going on um, that are impacting on their ability to make decisions and act in a way that, that serves themselves um, obviously without harming others um, but it's one of the most common things I see is when people reach out and they need help um, or coaching or, or training or whatever it happens to be is that they tend to be very overwhelmed um, so they feel like they're just a victim of their circumstances um, they feel like there's not really much they can do maybe as you said they don't feel like the organization is the right fit for them or their colleagues are not the right fit for them um, but they feel powerless to make any changes to that situation because they're mm. so focused on what's happening around them, um, which then impacts on their ability to um, take more control over what they do have control over, which is their own actions, their beliefs, their thoughts about the situation. Um, so I think from a Stoic philosophy perspective, physics is absolutely crucial in those situations mm. where we can differentiate between what is outside of our control and we might take a more passive approach to those things um, to allow us to be more introspective on what we do want to be active in. Um, and so you might, some people um, might see their job as, as just a way to pay the bills or support their family or a step to the next level that they want to be at. Um, and so there's ways within the principles of Stoic philosophy that, that we can apply uh, within those circumstances that make them a lot more tolerable for us. Um, mm. And we become much less overwhelmed by the situation. So as you said, it might be that, okay, well, I can't control what's going on in the organization. I can voice my uh, perspectives and I can contribute positively to where I can but ultimately I'm going to focus on my exit strategy, which might be in a month's time. It might be in a year's time. It might be in five years time, you know, it might be when the kids finish high school <laughs> um, yeah. and then, then you're free to, to go and do what you like. Um, so one of the things I talk to uh, people about is um, getting a realistic perspective of your situation. Um, so most of us can't just walk away from a job we don't like. Um, and many people, at the moment um, are probably reassessing a lot about um, their workplaces and, and the situations that they're in and the businesses that they're running um, because they've been forced into these horrible circumstances that are absolutely heartbreaking for many people. 
Um, so, you know, what, and that can be incredibly overwhelming for people as well. Um, so I think it's really important to be able to distance ourselves from what we have no control over so that we don't become overwhelmed with it and we can focus on what we do have control over um, and getting a really clear perspective of our current circumstances. Um, So I have an Mm. activity that I I do with people. I won't go into too much detail, Um, but basically, (laughs) well, basically I get them to draw a picture um, and all of the elements in the picture uh, represent something in their life. Um, and you know, it can be colorful. It can be, you know, whatever, whatever they like a garden is often a good example. Um, so asking mm-hmm. them to draw a garden and any rocks or plants or trees or anything represents something in their life. Um, and it's amazing to see what people draw, um, as the dominant plants in their life, mm-hmm. for example, or, um, you know, a, a powerful river or a big rock right in the middle of it that represent certain things in their lives. Um, and then, so we start to work on where the imbalances are in their life and it, it allows people to get a much better perspective of their situation, um, and less of a comparative analysis of where other people might be, or maybe somebody loves the organization and and you hate it, Mm. um, and want to get out of it. Um, so it brings you back to your own situation and what you have to deal with and a more realistic perspective of what you can do. Um, so for example, if we head off, if we, uh, go on another little tangent away from organizations for a moment, um, I, I have, uh, colleagues who work in the fitness industry. And, uh, so often what happens is people have a fitness goal, um, that they want to achieve. And at the beginning of that goal, they're motivated, they're enthusiastic. They've got very high expectations of themselves. Um, and it might be changes in diet, it might be changes in activity, whatever their circumstances are. Um, you know, they've got a personal trainer, all the rest of it. Um, but unless they actually take a realistic perspective of their current situation and what it's actually going to take to get to where they want to go, um, it's not long before frustration and, um, you know, feelings of being defeated and all of that start to creep in because we haven't actually really truly and honestly assessed where we are now um, and Mm. what it's actually going to take. Um, So it doesn't matter if it's a fitness goal, if you are embarking on a new degree, if you're taking on a new job, whatever it happens to be, it's really important that we apply the principle of physics to understand really authentically and truly and genuinely where we're at now and what it's actually going to take to get to where we want to go. And then just mm. open up to the experience and the learning that that's involved with that. Yeah. Yeah. That That's so important for people to understand, right? That we need to, we need to understand the entire process that we're taking on because it's all well and good to just say, you know, this is my goal. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to hit it. Uh, okay. Awesome. But uh, you know, nobody who achieves anything amazing just, you know, just jumps in and says, like, I think there's an element of figuring it out as you go that, that is, that is almost helpful because that's what we're doing all the time. But to your current understanding, go as far as you can to see what you're actually getting involved in. Something that you said there as well uh, made, made me think that it's it's important to point this out. I mean, you're saying how, you know, you might not be able to leave your career right now, but at least you can plan for the future. I just thought as you're talking about that, 
you know, even myself, I'm currently coaching two people who are saying, you know, in three years time, I'm going to be retired. And I want to know that as soon as I leave my career, I've got something really valuable for me to jump into, uh, something that I'm going to be working towards. And so at the moment, they're still working in their jobs and they're having a great time. But after their jobs each day, they're going and working on their plan to then pivot into something even more exciting once they leave their careers, right? And I think that that's so important for people to recognize. You don't have to just pack up and leave today. But if you can allow stoicism to make you more of a a solution-minded person as opposed to the problem-minded person, then you can actually start planning your life in such a way that gives you a little bit of hope for the next couple of years because you know that you will have come up with a plan that gets you out of where you are, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree more. And it's what I used to um, work with my teams in when I was in corporate um, with, with regard to, and what I talk to people about now is um, what I refer to as always have something bubbling along in the background. Um, You know, so, and what that does is again, it, it gives us a focal point um, that is not determined by what's happening outside of our, our, our situation or, or what we are in control of. Um, Mm. So, you know, staying with the, the principle of physics if we've got something that we're focused on and it's, it's long-term, it's short-term, it's, it's whatever we want to be building and learning on, um, then it distracts us away from some of the things that maybe would take our energy um, for no real reason because we don't have control over it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something that I've always done. I've always had something bubbling along in the background, um, not always things that people know about. Sometimes I'll just... You know, um, last year I made a goal for myself to write a novel and I did and I didn't tell anyone about it until some publishers were interested in it. And, and yep. then I said, oh, by the way, um, I wrote a novel last year. <laughs> um, and so it doesn't have to be something that we advertise or that we share. It can be something quite personal that we just want to achieve for ourselves. Um, and we just keep it bubbling away in the background and it gives us a focal point to put our energy um, that's much more active um, and helps to keep some of those overwhelming feelings at bay. Mm. Yeah. And I actually find that sometimes saying nothing is the best approach, right? It's, it's the best approach because there's, then it's a purely intrinsic uh, value that you're moving towards. It's not so that other people will like it. It's not so that other people will see it. It's simply because you have to do it. Yeah. And I want to give you an opportunity as well to tell us more about, you know, what you're studying at the moment um, and how we can get people, uh, get people involved. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as we started the conversation about, yeah. uh, so I'm currently doing my PhD, um, looking at uh, exploring how, people are applying the principles of Stoic philosophy in their workplaces. Um, And the first stage of of collecting data, so I just this week actually officially hit the halfway mark. So I'm at my mid-candidature. Congratulations. um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, There's there's times that I think I have no idea how that happened. But again, it's just having something bubbling away that you're working on and suddenly Mm. you're there. Um, And so the first stage of my data collection is a survey. Um, where it's pretty straightforward. It's just asking people whether they're applying the principles in in, um, the workplace and in other areas, what their experiences are, um, and what sorts of situations they're applying 
the principles too. So whether it's conflict management or decision making or change management, job changes, those types of things. Um, and then what kind of challenges and uh, benefits they're, they're realizing as well. Um, so there's a link to the survey that um, hopefully we can, we can post again. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of the survey, people are given the option to um, undertake an interview with me as well so that I can get a better understanding of the experiences that they've actually had. Um, so that gives me a little bit more depth of understanding of, of what people are, are experiencing um, in real life uh, rather than mm. just in the survey. Um, and so from there, um, from the information that I'm able to gather from, from people, I hope to be able to put together some guidelines or uh, a framework that people can then use um, in their workplaces if they choose to engage with, with the principles of Stoic philosophy. Um, whether that's from a leadership perspective, a personal development, a career advancement, whatever it happens to be, um, some sort of framework or guidelines that people can can access and use. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I think that's really important work. And I think anything that can help us to, you know, help people to feel more fulfilled in their careers is is valuable work because, you know, it's so much of our life. So much of your life is spent at work. So you might as well make sure that you're enjoying it and that you're doing it effectively and, and it's leading to meaningful work. So yeah, Christy, I want to thank you for what you're doing and, uh, and I'll thank you for coming on the show today and uh, look, we'll have you back many more times in the future. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've had a great time chatting and going off on different tangents. Absolutely. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll have you back and we'll, uh, we'll continue our discussions and our tangents uh, many more times. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much. All right. So. Okay. So there you have it. My interview with Christy Watson. Now uh, I had such a good time talking to her. We're going to have her back many more times. Uh, and seriously, make sure you head to the links, take the survey that she's got going there. That would be so helpful uh, to help her find out how you're using stoicism within your own leadership and your own workplace. So uh, without any further ado, I'm hoping you guys uh, enjoyed that episode and I'll talk to you next time. But until then, I hope that this episode has helped you on your rise to the good life. Ciao. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practical Stoic Podcast. If you'd like to stay up to date with the Practical Stoic community and everything to do with this podcast, then just go to my website, simonjedrew.com and subscribe to the Practical Stoic Weekly, a newsletter that I send out every week with updates and all sorts of great Stoic insights. You can also find me everywhere online by searching Simon J. E. Drew. See you next time.